Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a look into the world of extreme ironing, plus how China has been making strides in controlling the weather by shooting rockets at the clouds, and a much more low-key opportunity to help NASA collect data about real, non-modified clouds. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. In Cheryl Mendelssohn's Home Comforts, The Art and Science of Keeping House, she explains how, while some time-consuming chores of certain eras made sense given contemporary hygiene concerns and technological constraints, there were also always chores that societal preference dictated servants and housewives perform, even though they had, as Mendelssohn puts it, quote, no justification in concrete benefits for safety and health, end quote. One of the biggest of Offenders from around the turn of the 20th century through the 50s was ironing. Quoting again, Our forebears were fanatics about ironing. They insisted on ironing everything from sheets to underwear, even though this cost horrendous labor from women, and most did it themselves without maids or did it alongside a maid, who were already devoting enormous amounts of labor simply to ensure survival. They were quite as capable as we are of appreciating that this was a lot of trouble for the sake of something they could have lived without. End quote. Mendelssohn's point is that ironing, like certain other chores throughout modern history, has its place, but for certain eras, women, mostly, were pressured to do more of it than was at all necessary just to keep up appearances. Nowadays, we iron far less. Hardly anyone is ironing their sheets or their socks, and you're more likely to be made fun of for doing so than judged for not doing it. Ironing these days is one of those chores that I'd be willing to bet a huge chunk of people just don't do at all, especially with how much the pandemic has killed typical business attire. Especially with the rise of home steamers, I'd be tempted to say that ironing could be on its way out altogether as a typical domestic chore. But there is one group of people who have revived the early 20th century housewives' commitment to ironing and given it a whole new 21st century spin. They're called ironists, and they participate in a sometimes competitive activity called extreme ironing. The basic idea is taking an ironing board to the most ridiculous setting or situation you can think of and proceeding to properly iron an item of clothing. 
Its origins go back to 1997 or 1980, depending who you ask, and it really took off in the early 2000s when the sport mounted its first world championships and garnered quite a bit of press attention, including a documentary that aired on Channel 4 in the United Kingdom. Extreme ironing hasn't really made it over to North America, but remains quite popular to this day in New Zealand, the UK, and Germany in particular. Here are a few landmark achievements in extreme ironing over the last two decades. Early on in 2003, a group of Brits ironed a Union Jack flag above Everest Base Camp, which is believed to be the world altitude record for extreme ironing. Going in the other direction, a number of divers have ironed underwater. Several groups have one-upped each other over the years to break world records for the highest number of people simultaneously ironing underwater. However, four years ago, freediver Roland Piccoli went on a solo ironing mission in the world's deepest pool in Italy. Phil Shaw, aka Steam, who helped popularize and initially organize the sport, ran a half marathon while wearing an ironing board and ironing clothes as he ran. If you look up clips online, you can see people ironing in rivers, on the outside of moving vehicles, in trees, on roofs, while biking, horseback riding, trampolining, water skiing, and skydiving. One of the most common options is rock climbing, mostly because of the spectacular and ridiculous visuals you can get of someone up high on a mountain or cliff with their ironing board out. I think our era of drone cameras has partially helped the sport continue, as people find it a fun shot to get, and a decent way to spend the day, you know, going on a hike and taking photos and videos. Now, in the official competitions, at least back in the day, you were required to actually iron and were judged on how well you did so. But my big question was, like, if you're up a mountain or on a rowboat or something, how are you plugging in the iron? From the instructions I can find online, it seems like the recommended solutions were either an extension cord, a portable generator, or a battery-operated iron. Now that said, the folks ironing underwater were surely just doing it for the photo op and world record not achieving any real ironing, I wouldn't think. And to be fair, that is what most of the sport is. It's really just about doing something goofy. You know, there's absolutely skill and daring involved, but at the end of the day, it attracts people with a sense of humor who want to add some absurdity to the world. That might be part of why it hasn't taken off so much in the U.S. Watching the 2003 documentary, especially once it gets into a rivalry with a group trying to make extreme vacuuming a thing, it really felt more like a Monty Python sketch than a real documentary about a real activity. The whole concept is much more to the British sense of humor than America's. It also feels very peak early 2000s humor, and does seem like it's faded as an organized sport in recent years. Like I said, though, the advent of cinematic-level consumer cameras and popularity of visual mediums like Instagram and TikTok are at least keeping the one-off attempts going strong. Just last week, Mel Magazine interviewed UK-based New Zealander Matthew Batley about his extreme ironing adventures up active volcanoes, on Scottish lakes, and through several UK national parks. In a separate interview with 60 Second Docs last year, Batley said it's just a nice way to escape the hustle and bustle of everyday life, bring joy to others, and have a bit of fun. I also love this quote from him in Mel. 
I'm afraid that the iron doesn't do a terribly good job of ironing clothes in the wilderness, but it's a somewhat pointless venture anyway since you tend to put the item you've ironed back into the bag after ironing anyway, so any gains are short-lived. End quote. Throwing a freshly ironed garment straight back in a bag? I think those early 20th century housewives might have been more aghast at that than the idea of someone taking their ironing board to the side of a glacier. And while there is certainly some commentary to be had about something long considered women's work being turned into an extreme sport by men, I suppose it's worth pointing out that many of the participants are women and that every version of Extreme Ironing's origin story includes a man doing his own ironing. Whether it was Tony Hyam in 1980 who started ironing in unlikely locations after being inspired by his stuffy brother-in-law who ironed his own clothes even while camping, or Phil Steam Shaw, who was bored of ironing after a long day's work and decided to take his board outside, and then grew the activity from there. Ironing has evolved, for some, from a chore that doesn't need to be done as much as some dictate, to a sport that also probably doesn't really need to be done. But that's kind of the beauty in both. Going that extra mile to look good, or completely ridiculous. Well, while you sadly won't see extreme ironing at the Winter Olympics next month, what you will probably see is lots of bright, sunny days and blue skies. And I don't mean that in a sort of metaphoric way about how everything is going to be nice and happy. That's rarely the case at the Olympics, especially in such politically loaded years like this one. No, I mean it literally. No matter what the weather should be, the host country is expected to engage their China Meteorological Association Weather Modification Center to ensure nice, low-polluted, appropriate weather for all of the winter sports. And we're not just talking about the fake snow that most host countries and even non-Olympic ski resorts have to employ. Quoting the Washington Post, China has long attempted to modify the weather through cloud seeding, a process of trying to stimulate rainfall by firing silver iodide-filled shells and rockets into clouds. Tens of thousands of people work for the Beijing Weather Modification Office and other provincial counterparts. Over the years, they've been tasked with firing rockets to negate sandstorms, reduce hailstorms, and relieve drought. But over the past 14 months, China has been ramping up its program to levels seldom seen seen, either there or around the world. In December 2020, government officials announced a major expansion, setting as its goal triggering rain over more than 2 million square miles, an area larger than 187 of the world's countries. The program officially launched last month. These efforts could have major consequences for both China's 1.4 billion people and neighbors like Myanmar, India, and Nepal, raising a kind of ethical meteorological tension between national sovereignty and global responsibility. End quote. While last month, The Guardian reported on a new peer-reviewed study outlining the efficacy of a July 2021 cloud seeding operation to stimulate rainfall and lower pollution, other researchers say it's a very tough thing to study because you can't exactly run a control on the same cloud to see what would have happened without the interference. 
This technique, triggering rain to clear the air of pollution to ensure clearer skies the next day, is called blue skying, and it's one that some think we'll see on display at the Olympics this year. Back in 2008, the Washington Post notes China deployed rockets to disperse rain clouds ahead of the opening ceremony for the Summer Games. Weather modification is neither new nor uniquely Chinese. Some versions of the tech got started in the 1940s. Russia and the U.S. have both attempted to use it before in various capacities. In recent years here in the U.S., officials have tried to use it to fight droughts on the West Coast. But back during the Vietnam War, the U.S. military used cloud seeding to try to extend the monsoon season to disrupt the North Vietnamese people, according to the Washington Post. It's not just the Olympics that might see some of China's latest advances in weather modification. Quoting again from the Post, Among the country's long-range initiatives is a massive cloud-seeding operation over the Tibetan Plateau, meant to irrigate China's arid north. Thousands of fuel-burning chambers are slated to be installed in the mountains, where they'll fire shells into the sky, all in the hope of creating rain over the Yellow River that flows into other northern areas. Details have been scant on the plan, but experts say the epic scale is already clear. The plateau is nearly a million square miles, and this will cover about 600,000 of them. California, by comparison, is 160,000 square miles. The tech is improving, too. In recent years, the American Meteorological Society has documented more efficient use of rockets and shells and better models for finding promising clouds, and it's believed China's closely held program is refining these even further. End quote. Experts are really divided, though, on whether this tech should even be explored or at least how it should be done. While it could certainly help with places that experience drought, there are still a lot of unknowns about long-term knock-on effects and what effects it might have on nearby places. As Danazri Jayaram, a professor of geopolitics and international relations, told the Post, quote, The truth is, we really don't know what that means for various ecosystems. The one thing we do know is that atmosphere is not divided by political boundaries. End quote. And professor of geography Xia Shen Qian explained another major concern that many share, quote, In the EU, moral and ethical issues are discussed extensively. Such transparency and checks and balances are relatively limited in China. End quote. So while some say the exploration and innovation here could do great things for communities all around the world, others are wary about the lack of transparency and the potential for, quote, environmental hegemony, end quote. It's certainly something that brings up a lot of questions. Man versus nature, innovating because you can without considering if you should, who gets to decide that should, and just international relations and the climate emergency overall. For something called blue skying, its underlying implications are anything but simple. Well, if it's not all blue skies where you're at, if there are at least some clouds, then NASA wants to hear about it. They recently announced their annual NASA Globe Cloud Challenge for the year. It's an opportunity for citizen scientists to submit cloud observations or identify cloud types in existing photos to help NASA study our changing climate. You can participate using the Globe Observer app, and you are particularly encouraged to match 
match your cloud gazing with satellite observations. NASA says anything within 15 minutes of a satellite overpass is particularly useful because then they can get the from the ground perspective from you in addition to the bird's eye view from the satellites. And the app can send you push notifications when there is a satellite flyover near you so you can time your observations accurately. The team is aiming for 20,000 observations matched to satellite data during the challenge, which runs through February 15th. Marley Colin Robles, an atmospheric scientist and lead for the Globe Clouds team at NASA's Langley Research Center, gave these pointers in a NASA press release, quote, Are you seeing more precipitating clouds? Are you seeing less of them? Are there more thick, blanketed clouds that cast more shadows? Or are you seeing more of those thin, high clouds that are ice and don't cast shadows but hold the heat in the atmosphere? Each cloud type affects Earth's energy balance differently. That's what we're trying to understand. End quote. And from the Washington Post, quote, Clouds can warm the atmosphere by trapping heat from the Earth's surface, but they can also cool it by shielding the planet from the sun's intense rays. The height and type of the clouds matters when it comes to Earth's energy balance. High-level clouds reflect some solar radiation back into space, but trap some heat in the atmosphere and bounce it back down toward Earth. Low-hanging clouds tend to cool Earth's surface, end quote. So with so many different types of clouds and so many different impacts of each one, NASA is hoping to collect as much data as possible to continue learning more about our climate as it changes. And while anyone can absolutely participate, all of the extra activities available on the website, link in the show notes, are definitely aimed at kids, so I mostly recommend this for any parents who are looking for some fun at-home activities to fill your time. Well, that's going to be it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.